Like most of history, our show is absolutely foul and filled with horrible language that is inappropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. My best Ringo impression, trying to be well, Paul, have to do and not really pool. succeeding at it. Wow, get well, the have to do fuck like a out of here! Where you go down, then you go up like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then there's John. There's I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you're a resident expert here. Um, I watched or I listened to a video today of Ringo putting Why? up. Why? Well, no, because he was like literally, he made a video of like, please don't send. Any more things to my fan mail address. I won't be signing anything else. I'm warning you with peace and love. Jesus. <laughs> I don't remember what John sounded like before Mark David Chapman gone with that beetle spray. Uh. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome to Pokemon. Uh, Are we is... actually leaving that? Oh yeah, we're gonna oh. do it. Uh, this is Michael. Brittany. Uh, I'm Jake. And uh, we actually have a special guest with us today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Daniel Merrill. I'm a friend of the hosts. Yeah. And Just uh, throwing your whole name right out there, huh? Right well, out the gate. I think it makes it real formal. That way I can be sued properly if something goes wrong here. <laughs> Shit. What they don't realize is that I am actually just using this as an excuse to compile evidence, so I appreciate it up front. He's been doing this for I would like five also, years. Yeah, I would also really appreciate it if you guys didn't make me laugh right as we start recording, because every time I try to introduce myself, I'm laughing, and then I have to take a break from laughing, and that sucks ass. I'm just, I hate it. I'm just really <laughs> glad we didn't start an episode with the sex joke. We've got one. No, you just have like a really, really uncomfortable Beatles murder joke. <laughs> Beetle, then. Sorry, sorry. Assassination. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not murder. Not murder. Assassinated. Oh, um, oh good shit. So, good shit. Dan, um, you're my housemate, and we're like, we need something to fill an episode. Let's let's drag you out of your burrow. So, um, you have an episode, or you have a, a subject for us, right? Yes, and I, I'd like everyone to just appreciate like just the level of care and comfort that Jake has for me, even now. As renter, friend, and useful burrow creature. Um, <laughs> but I'm here to talk about uh, Musui's story, which is um, the book that is based on the life of a Tokugawa-era samurai. Okay, so this is... Tokugawa is where? So the Tokugawa-era stretched from the 14-1500s into the 1800s, before the Meiji Restoration period of Japan. Okay. It was the last major shogunate to fully unify Japan after the Sengoku Jidai period. Mm -hmm. um, what was notable about this period as time went on and the lack of civil war really proceeded... Samurai increasingly didn't really have a function as a warrior class for the shogunate. And the question was, well, what do we do with all these warrior classes that we owe siphons to who are supposed to do shit for us? 
Um, and the answer was that they basically filled government posts, did jobs like that. They put them in the DMV. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, essentially, yes. Yeah, so you have all these warrior kings sitting in behind the desk of the DMV. Which resulted in a problem after a time, because the way, you know, samurai were established and families were formed in Japan, they ended up with a problem where they just had way more samurai than they had posts for them to fill. So about 25% of samurai didn't actually uh, occupy a government post. They were permanently unemployed. And the protagonist of our story is oh, one of the no. pinnacle examples of a samurai that never really rose to any glory, despite his father's best attempts. Big, big yikes. You've told me little kibbles of this story, and um, Musui's a bastard. <laughs> he's oh. a real son of a bitch. He's not just a bastard. He's someone who loves being a bastard. <laughs> And it just bleeds through everything he has to say. He would fit in really well with this show. Uh -huh. Yeah, the cast. <laughs> it's... Uh, Dan, can you leave and uh, bring this we'll guy just back? Bring Musui? Yeah. I wish. Um, well, it sounds like he's going to feel like a memoir for most of us, so. By the way, can we all agree not to do an accent on this episode? Probably not. I, can, I think we're, cannot I think stress the show enough. is new enough to where I don't think we'll survive. <laughs> The three of us all trying to do a Japanese accent. Well, I mean, you, you certainly attempted every other kind so far, Jay. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, yeah, going going back to our Mary Shelley episode was. So here's the thing, one. though. I'm allowed to make fun of, in my opinion, like Europeans because they got to demolish the world for about a hundred eh, years. Most of them they, they can afford to be poked at a little bit. Um, I don't think we have the staying power yet to where we can survive me doing a whole episode of uh, Asian accents, and I'm not willing to gamble with it. So, yeah, um, don't fucking do it. I'm, I'm making sure you two don't. I definitely won't. You're a monster. Oh, yeah, in, like, other regards. Well, well I make zero practices. <laughs> Great. Oh, good. I gotta say that I'm breathing more easily. Okay. Our God. All right, um, well, no! <laughs> most honorable Dan. <laughs> All right, here we go. I, I, refu I refuse to do an accent. Anyway. <laughs> Jake has to call me senpai for the rest of the episode. I'm absolutely not doing that. Because senpai I'm... implies that you're my better and you pay me rent. So you refer to me as senpai. <laughs> okay. And if I deign to call you anything, it will be... Um, what's, what's a more insulting version of Dan Coon? Chan? Dan Chan? Yeah. Dan Chan? Sure. Dan Chan. Why not? Uh, whatever. Do that. Uh, Dan, do your episode. Dan Chan Fine. sounds like a cheese dish. It so, does. It sounds... I don't like it. I don't like saying Dan Chan. Perfect. Um, so, to kind of give the background of the story, you would think that Musu would be the name we're going to deal with most of the time through the uh, route of this autobiography, but actually... Musui is a retirement name. In this period of Japanese history, people would take on names that they would have in retirement to show that they had been officially removed from their positions as heads of families. His name in life was Katsu Kokichi. Kokichi? Katsu Kokichi. Okay. That's cute. Katsu. Isn't that like the word for cutlet? Katsu? I think so. But okay. it was it not... It's He's just a sweet little cutlet. <laughs> Come here, my little cutlet. Poor cutlet. <laughs> so... Despite the fact that this person was miserable, unemployable, was a constant thief, street fighter, <laughs> blackmailed people, special. paid for prostitutes, gambled away of all of his money, he actually came from a family of uh, very, like, uh, reputable descent. 
Isn't that kind of how that always goes, though? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, the, the worst people always come from families of, like, traditional, like, oh, yes, high honor, and it's like, all right, well, I'm going to go blow my inheritance on hookers. This, Peace out. This guy literally sounds like a walking spring break, like, morality tale. <laughs> well, yeah, he does. but... It sounds like a dude named Jake that you would run into in Florida on your spring break that, like, definitely crashed his daddy's yacht. Yeah, that's my, about him. My family's never had that much money. Now... The thing about him, though, is that Katsu came from an ancestor who was one of the premier generals for Tokugawa Ieyasu, like the founder of the modern shogunate of Japan at his time. Mm-hmm. His brothers were all in reputable government positions where they were very influential and important, and his son would become the leader of the shogun's army on the eve of the Meiji Restoration. Huh. Rintaro, his son, his only son, became one of the most important people in the, at the end of the Tokugawa shogunate. So these guys are no joke. Oh, yeah. It, this guy's a joke, but everyone around him is important. <laughs> so, I'm just curious, um, with the Boshin War, which uh, side did his family side with? Were they oh. Shogunate supporters, or did they go... Um, I don't know, because Musubi doesn't give a shit about that. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I can appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. So, one of the big things that we have to keep in mind is that autobiographies are really uncommon in this period of Japanese history. So, one thing is... There were two other major autobiographies from this period, but they were from very important, very famous people. And Musui is not that. (laughs) So the question has always been, why does he do this? Well, the translator of our book, uh, Teruko Craig, who I recommend you pick up the actual book, Musui's Story, The Autobiography of Tokugawa Samurai, it's a great book, says that it's likely due to the fact that because he lived such a, like, down-on-his-luck, constantly finding ways to get by for himself life, he had an unusually high sense of self-worth for someone living in Japan in this period. Awesome. So he's a narcissist. Yes, he is a complete narcissist. (laughs) This guy's great. Okay. So, we're going to start from the very beginning, when he is a child growing up among his original clan family, the Otani family. Now, during this period we get a really good picture into the way that he's going to be in his future. And it all starts with a kite and another kid with a kite. Um, Katsu, who is still Otani at this point, is playing with one of his kites, and there's another kid, and they get in a fight over their kites, like who's got a better kite, what's going on. And the other kid takes his kite and smashes it. <laughs> so oh our young Musui responds by picking up a rock and smashing the kid's face in. Oh, that's a... That's intense. I would say that's a bit of an escalation. He is six years old at the time. Good God. Setting a precedent early. So he's either like a real prick or a serial killer. Well, a a little bit of a mix of both, as we'll find later. Oh, good. Um, His father, Otani Heizo, finds out what he's done and says, you need to be punished for this, ties him to a post and hits him over the head with a clog that he's wearing. A clog, like a shoe. Like a yes, shoe. Like a, a shoe. wooden shoe. A wooden shoe. You murdered someone, so I'm going to hit you with my shoe for a little well, while. Well, he didn't actually mil- murder The kid survived. Oh, so he's, he's not just, dead. No, yeah, no, no, no. He wishes he was. I was yeah. going to say, I was like, if he's not, he'll wish he was. He's just yeah. going to have a bunch of fun nicknames. Just a very, very bloody face. Pie face. <laughs> oh, that's a bad one. <laughs> so it's at seven years old that he's formally adopted into what will become the family name he's owned by the rest of his life, the Katsu family. And this is where he goes into what will be his adult name, Katsu Kokichi. Um, the way this worked in the Tokugawa period is people get adopted in these families so that they can marry the different daughters or such of those families. So he was adopted in the Katsu family because the plan was he would marry the daughter when he was older and then they would continue the family line as cool. such. Okay. So he very early on in this family does not get along with the grandmother who acts as this sort of surrogate mother-in-law mm-hmm. who always, always 
he says, treats him like shit. And by this, he means she expected him to learn to cook for himself, so she stopped cooking for him. Oh, I don't want to cook. She treated me badly. She expected me to take care of myself. I had to actually do stuff around the house. She's a monster. Well, you have God. to keep, you have to keep in mind, crap. when he was younger, his mom would get sweets and stuff that she tried to keep him from eating, so she would hide them, and he would just find them and eat them all anyway. And then she would go, well, I'm not going to tell his father because he'll just hit him with a clog again. Oh, my God. <sighs> you know, I'm never going to advocate for, like, a parent hitting their kid. But every now and then we come across some, like, moose weed. It's like, it's maybe not a bad thing. The only thing we'll have to do is hit this kid with a shoe. Like, nothing else seems to be working. Right. Yeah. As a child of the Katsu family, he gets in a fight with about 20 to 30 other boys over a kite. Sorry, okay. it's just him and What's... 20 to 30 boys. Yes. Him alone and then 20 to 30 other boys. So yes. that's not a fight. That's an ass kicking. Yeah. Well, he starts the fight, so. <laughs> oh, so, so dear he's, God. He's stupid in addition to being an asshole. Oh, yeah. God. Yes. <laughs> and apparently possibly a sociopath. Yeah. Not a very self-aware one, that's for sure. Yeah. God. Does so... he think that he's Bruce Lee? Also, what's with the kites? Well, he apparently <laughs> really liked kites as a child. Yeah, That's he did. it. Like, he fucking beat someone's face <laughs> and then started to fight 20 to 30 other kids over him. Well, it's worth mentioning that there were a number of, like, different games that a lot of Japanese children played at the time. Like, there was kite flying. There was also a certain festival where they would um, uh, hang sheaves in order to, like, celebrate uh, luck and protection from misfortune. And he got in trouble as a child also for that because he took the sheaves that were meant to protect them from misfortune and was using them to play a game with his friends. Which pissed off all the adults around him. Fuck your religion. Yeah. This. Oh, wait till he's older. Oh, and we'll, man. oh, oh good. good. So he gets beat up by all these other kids. At once? At once. And then he decides awesome. this is like not okay. It's unacceptable. I'll let myself beat up. So he's going to kill himself, actually, at seven years old. Wow. Yeah. That's quite the mood swing. But a local rice dealer walking by goes, no, that's a really dumb idea. You should just keep, pers- you could just keep persisting and do your thing. And he goes, okay. So wait, so he's bouncing off his suicide attempts with just strangers walking down the road? Yep. Hey, hey buddy. That's right. So, uh, I had a bad day today. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, yeah. So mm-hmm. I was thinking of going home and, um, I'm just gonna, just gonna hang myself. S- sorry, what did you say? Small child? No, 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 buddy, I'm just going to go and hang myself. No, no, there are other, there are other, you don't even, I mean, you haven't had bad days yet. Oh, I haven't? No, no. Oh, okay, yeah, well, I won't do it then. Yeah, yeah, wait until something really terrible comes. <laughs> okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah. And then, and then return to the idea. You no, know, you're going to have yeah, way better reasons it. to contemplate that later. Uh, uh, I'm a rice farmer, I... <laughs> I'm really glad you decided to not do an accent, by the way. Michael, I applaud you. Yeah, as soon as I looked over and you were like, I'm going to talk now, I was like, no, no, no. It is amazing how quickly you can garner praise when you set the bar as low as I do. Very low. Very good. It is worth noting there is a single sentence that follows his conversation with with the rice dealer in which he says, after this, I managed to make all those boys my followers. Oh, uh, <laughs> see, I was really hoping it would say I managed to make all those boys my bitches. My that would have been f- well, fucking You awesome. have to keep in mind, in his autobiography, he will often use that in a very similar way, where former enemies he'll just force to, like, work for him instead. Fucking Actually, awesome. That's honestly, that's the best revenge. <laughs> yes. The, like, I know the whole, whole thing, like, you know, oh, living well is the best revenge. Can you stop? <laughs> With your ginger soda? <laughs> Thank you. Well, I heard, I heard one little... 
And I was like, is he over there just like blasting Michael, ass? Michael needs a refill. Is he over there shitting himself? <laughs> um, but no, like, you know, the whole thing, like, oh, the best revenge is living well. I would argue the best revenge is becoming your enemy's employer. Oh, because, oh, God, isn't that, isn't that the dream? <laughs> just like, hey, uh, you're going to do this or uh, you're gone. Oh, man. His, like, I want to be a horrible boss. Hey, uh, we scheduled the weekly staff meeting for 3.30 p.m. on Friday, so I'd get hey, ready. Hey, 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 Tim, Tim, Tim. Um, look here. Um, yeah, no, don't even worry about that. You're going to get out of here. Tim, uh, I noticed that, uh, I know we've moved your desk three times in the past week, but uh, we're actually moving in some new interns, and we're going to have to have you move your stuff again. Outside. <laughs> there, we, have, we have a maintenance closet. We went ahead and cleaned that out, and I think we can fit your desk in there. I'm not sure. Go figure it we out. We were planning on having you move in there, but we realized that, you know, we wanted to keep you closer to the restroom because that's where the shit goes. And, uh... <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Employing your enemies does sound like a fun time. It does sound kind of great. Okay, so he employs his, uh, those boys and beat the shit out of them. So he brags that he does this, although he never goes into detail about how exactly he gets them to join him. But we fast forward to two years later when he's nine, and he's been enrolled by his father into a judo class because he wants him to start developing actual skills. Sure. Huh? Instead, he makes enemies with all the other boys in the class who all hate him, Shocking. it turns out. No way. People didn't like Musui? Well, you know, no way. it turns out that he was a little aggressive. I don't what? believe that. The level of self-confidence that this cat, kid has is astounding, but it goes away so quickly because he ricocheted from that to commit, uh, you know, contemplating suicide. I mean... But, I mean, I think that's also kind that's, of the societal carrots and sticks there. That's, a, that's, a, that's yeah. a very, like, common trait. And people with who are like extreme narcissists. Yeah, hmm. it's yeah, like they, they can't handle failure. Exactly, yeah. they have all this confidence, and as soon as something like that happens, they're mm. like, "Well, I guess I should just be dead." And it's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa!" That's, that's a bit much. Oh, just a little bit. Okay, so so this story is one of the first times where we start to see um, Katsuko Kichi able to just put himself in situations that he should just be screwed in, turning out fine. He's up against like twenty other boys who've got pole arms. And he fights them off, actually, in this situation. What? Like, huh. just... How just many? dirty... Like, 20 boys. In and he way. fights Holmes. them off alone. Yes. Does he have a weapon of his own? He does have a weapon. Okay. okay. Who, but it's like a... Sorry, stick. who wrote this story? The Katsuko Kichi wrote this he story. Okay, okay, so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Let's, I let's, definitely let's, kicked all those boys' asses. And then these girls came up and said... Notice uh, me, senpai. Yeah, Musui, you're you are so handsome and honorable. And then I Come. flexed into the sunset. <laughs> <laughs> well, he spent. We'll get into that later in terms of how he handled like his relationships with women. Um, oh, he oh. had relationships with women. You would not notice so. that much from judging the autobiography, but big big ol' yikes. Okay, continue. So these boys in his class hate him, of course. After this episode, where they get in a fight. So there's a time he brings a bunch of food for like an overnight like study class session for judo and they end up tying him up in a tree and then taking his food and just saying they're going to eat it directly below him. <laughs> however, That's however awesome. he is not to be bested by this group of boys he's previously beat the shit out of so you know what he does? He pisses on all of them and the food. <laughs> While he's hanging from the tree. Yes. He just starts violently urinating. I'm assuming. That's fucking he awesome. He pissed himself to do it. Yes. Like, he couldn't have gotten his... If his, I'm going down, I'm taking you fuckers with me. Well, That's kind of great. We all know you're going to have to untie these knots. Enjoy my soaked knots, you dumbasses. And he specifically <laughs> brags that they had they were angry and could no longer eat the food because he had made it dirty. <laughs> with my urine. That's fucking That's hysterical. Great. I'm really swinging back and forth on this guy. 
<laughs> well, so <laughs> you gonna learn to. Do we're it. not even at the funnest parts of his childhood even Funnest. Right now. His childhood. His this is he is getting home from a tree and pissing on your enemies isn't the fun part. No, not yet. <laughs> I'm kind of jealous. Go on. So when he's at ten years old, he gets a horse riding instructor, and he ends up riding out without a saddle out in the city, and the instructor sees him and says. You're not allowed to do that. I'm going to tell your father and let you do that. He tells his father, I want a new instructor. So he gets a new instructor who lets him do that. <laughs> Shit, son. Wow. It's just a spoiled little asshole. Uh-huh. He is. Okay. Damn. But the real moment that really changes how like Katsuko Kichi would approach his life comes at 14, where he decides he hates his friends, he hates his family, he doesn't want to be around. So he runs away from home. And sets out on the road towards Kyoto. If he's a cartoon mouse, this is kind of fun. Oh. <laughs> but he is not. I promise you, this is not going to go well for him. Okay, good. Let's. let's There's no it. tiger at the end so of the journey. So he goes to Kyoto. Well, he never gets to Kyoto. Um, so uh, about a day or two into his leaving, he spends a night in a tavern and then meets a couple merchants who are like, where are you going from? And he says, I'm going from Ido to Kyoto. And they say, well, you can join us. Well, we're going there, too. And he's like, awesome. I have people that I can hang out with and be safe. So they travel for a few days together, and he feels pretty safe. He, like, disrupts from the night, goes uh -oh. to sleep, wakes up. They stole all of his stuff. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> Worth mentioning, he had all of his money, his kimono, his swords, everything. So the only thing he was wearing was literally his underrobe at this point. <laughs> How old was he at this point? He is 14. So make a good movie. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. So, I want a Mel Brooks-style movie of this. Continue. So he finds his way to an inn and explains what happens. And he goes, yeah, the, I saw those guys. I said they were you were going to catch up with them, but they're long gone now. Um, so he's like, I don't know what to do because I don't have anything. And the innkeeper goes, hold on. Gets him some food and then gives him a ladle and says, here, use this to beg on the side of the road. With <laughs> a fucking spoon. Thus begins Katsu's time as a beggar on the road between Ido and Kyoto. Oh my god. Now, during this period... I thought he was going to give him a job. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, technically he did. Well, yeah, no, the innkeeper made the right decision here. Yeah, he he nudged him towards a career path. Of you look like this is the, your aspirational level. Let's just keep you there. Yeah. Oh my god. You look like the Japanese equivalent of Dan. Oh, thank you, Jake. <laughs> no problem. It's not a, any reason why I like this story or anything. <laughs> Boy, it's not like I don't feel this in like my deepest heart of my or heart of hearts or whatever. I'm not crying inside. Boy, I sure did miss you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so he Brittany starts first begging back from vacation. So he starts begging, <laughs> and what he encounters constantly is he'll run into people who will say, "Who the fuck are you? You're a beggar. You can't be here." Beat the shit out of him and help to leave. But he also gets a ton of money from different, like, shrines and pilgrims along the road. During this period, he meets a number of different people who constantly offer him the chance to stay with them, like, just be a retainer in their home. And he goes, nah, and leaves and goes back to begging. So, so he keeps, you, Oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, so he gets the shit kicked out of him uh -huh. when he gets money? But, yes. But first, like I kind of get the impression that, yeah, he's, like, used to getting his ass kicked. I feel like I, he's more comfortable he's, he's with that. He's pretty good at it at this point. Yeah. I I would consider it. Mm-hmm. I'm getting no, paid. You wouldn't. You're you're like breakable. <gasps> Go <Gimby>. on, Dan. <laughs> Go on, Dan. So continue with your very fascinating story. Thank you, Brittany. You're welcome. 
<laughs> so he encounters many conflicts and problems along the way, but the real moment where suddenly he realizes maybe things aren't working out on the road is he's sleeping on a cliffside, and he rolls over to sleep and <gasps> falls off the cliffside and manages to land on a rock that hits him directly in the testicles. Oh, <laughs> shit! <laughs> Good. Oh, oh, ow. I I have so much to say, but, like, I don't know how to word it all at once. So, do they just pop like balloons? Oh, my God. Would you like the the description that he gives? Yeah, sure. Very much so. He says, by the third day, I was able to walk again, but by the end of the week, they were starting to ooze pus. (gasps) Oh, Oh. wow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so he just laid on the rock for like three days. What else could you do? Yeah. Uh, you're out of options. I've had like, I had a friend in high school once kind of like lightly backhand, you know, backhand him. And I like, ugh, like I had like that reaction and I had to like stop for a minute. The thought of falling down a cliff and landing on a rock. Onto them. Like yeah. they were in oh, your cushion. God, no. Like, I've actually sat on him before, and that's awful. <laughs> so the rice farmer was right. You're definitely going to have better reasons to kill yourself later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was here, like, does he, does he contemplate it now? Oh, no, not at all. He doesn't, first off, he doesn't have a sword to kill himself with. Yeah. But, but he could like... just accidentally fall off a cliff again and then maybe <laughs> land on a rock, but I... not on his testicles, but maybe his head. <laughs> I feel like he's, this guy, like, any time that he's in physical pain, is like, this is good. This is it. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> but then every time it's like any other thing, it's like, oh, God, I just want to fucking die already. Oh, and man. Death. Oh. Death is good. <laughs> good Lord. Wow. That's. Just oozing pus. Oh. Please. Uh, so, yeah, so, 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 Dan, what does a young man in the Tokugawa era who's oozing pus out of his junk do? Well, he hides it from everyone he meets. Awesome. <laughs> Jake's face. <laughs> so he, um, it's like, hey, this is this is really bad. Maybe I should see a doctor. No, <laughs> no, absolutely not. Well, I just like that, like hides it from everyone he meets. Like, what? Well, yeah, what's he gonna do? Like, walk around with like. Well, that's the thing. You know he can't, like, walk normal like this. Sonny, like, Sonny, are you okay? I don't, yes. don't want to talk about it. <laughs> just don't look at me. I've just been riding a lot of horses recently. and I've been fucking too many bitches. I don't want to talk oh. about it. <laughs> I'm very successful. Did you know that? <laughs> My balls are just drained, and now I'm drained, and uh, let's just go on. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's, like, a little puddle of pus, fo- or puddles yeah. of pus falling. Did you just snail goes. trail falling oh. It's like, is that your water? Does your water break? (laughs) Okay, so he... Oh, Christ. So he um, didn't seek medical help. No, he did not. Okay, so... So what ends up happening to him is he ends up finding a small family that takes him in that really like having him around. But he has this weird smell. (laughs) Well, he, he originally gets there sick and they take care of him, but whenever they ask him if there's something wrong with his legs, he just says no. He's like, no, I'm fine. Mm mm. Nope. No, we don't. Why aren't you walking like this? This is great. <laughs> Everyone, every time someone like moves their arm just like a little bit, uh-huh. he's like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so what happens to him is basically this family goes, hey, you know, we like you. You should live here with us. Just stay part of the household. And he stops and thinks and goes, so I've been away from home for four months. Oh my god. <laughs> Is that why he keeps turning down all the pain jobs so he can keep begging? 
Yes. <laughs> and then finally he concludes, as he's considering the offer from his family, I'd rather go back and be a samurai than have to stay with this random family in the middle of nowhere. Wow. <laughs> the only people that have, like, offered him aid. Yep. Yeah, who have seemed to genuinely like him. What the fuck is wrong with... Anyway. It's like the Good Samaritan story, except the guy that's injured is like, no, no, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, eat shit and die. <laughs> so oh. he decides to make his way back home. And he gets back, and all the like, all of his uh, immediate family members are very excited, except for his father, who is pissed, and decides at that moment he's going to have the headship of the family removed and given to another brother. Oh, seems fair. Honestly, I mean, yeah. I'm surprised it hadn't I, happened already. I was, I'm uh, just, yeah. I'm just surprised that I haven't heard anything about him getting beat with a clog again. That being yeah. said, a local <laughs> government official said. If he had been gone for another month, I'd say yes. But now he's back, so let's just leave oh, him be and have him fuck. mature from this. Oh, oh they no. had to go to a government official? Oh, yeah. Government officials oh, are who make these calls. Oh, that's the worst. Oh, that sucks. Oh, shit. So. <laughs> okay, at, one more month. One more month and you could have had it. Oh. He was seen immediately by the family doctor because he had been a beggar on the road for four months. And when asked by the doctor if there was a reason why he was walking funny, he said he was fine for three months. <laughs> until he was incapable of walking. <laughs> I, I, lo I really love looking over at Jake's face this entire time Dan talks about this guy's nuts. Oh. <laughs> so by the end of it, he's oh. just dragging himself from his bedroom on his hands every morning. They had morning. to have been like black. Oh, I can't Beyond even imagine. Beyond the point of blue balls. Oh, oh Jesus Black and Christ. blue balls. God. Us and blue balls. Oh, oh man. At this point, he could no longer hide from the doctor the fact that his testicles were clearly infected. And he proceeded to have bed rest for the next two years. <gasps> I hate this guy. Oh my god, two years? I hate this guy. I was on bed rest for two weeks after my surgery and I wanted to die. Oh my god. Wow, fuck that. Good Christ. So that's the first time he runs away. Oh my god. <laughs> that's the first time, huh? Yes. I want well, a collection how, of pictures the... of Jake's face throughout this entire podcast. So let's see how time two goes, or the second time goes. Don't worry, it won't take long. Um, <laughs> as soon as he can crawl out of bed. <laughs> the first time I realized he can actually move again, he's like, <gasps> I'm out. He's sack on his back. I'm picturing those rigs that they put dogs in when their back legs don't work. <laughs> the little wheels. Father, I'm off to seek my fortune. <laughs> If you could just move up the back wheels a little bit with oil, I will be on my way. Can I have a ladle? I'm going to go beg again. <laughs> oh my god. Go on. So he reaches 16, and the doctor finally says, you can walk again, you can move, your testicles are fine. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, you can move your testicles again. I can imagine again. that doctor. You know the doctor in conversation was, okay, look, you can walk again, your testicles are... Fine. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Your testicles aren't losing They're about as good as anymore. they'll be. <laughs> After yeah. falling off a fucking cliff and <laughs> landing on them. You know, lemonade's at a lemon, am I right? Just yeah. <laughs> why don't you go for a stroll? <laughs> well, that's the grosser image of the things I've heard described so far. <laughs> <sighs> So, his very first experience he describes of what he does now that he's out and about and able to visit his town again... He describes one of his friends to, quote, tricking him into going to the pleasure quarters. Tricking is, him. Oh, no, the, not, oh the, no. not the pleasure Let's quarters. Let's not go see the sex workers. <laughs> the next John, time. John, 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 you want to go get some horse? 
You want to go get whores? Well, you talked me into it, John. <laughs> God damn it, John. The, the two sentences in the autobiography go, my friend tricked me into going to the pleasure quarters. I loved it and spent all my money. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, give me a t-shirt that says that. <laughs> Holy shit. I loved it. Spent all my money. <laughs> cannot, say, cannot say enough good things about it. Fantastic Five stars. time. Ten out of ten would do. <laughs> so this actually ended up wow. becoming almost immediately a problem in terms of how he was living his life. His brother was an actually important government official who collected taxes for the shogunate. Okay. And one time, in order to give him a bit of responsibility, his father charged him to take care of his brother's tax money he had collected oh. while he was out of town. Oh, oh no, 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 no. So what happened was his friend comes by and says, hey, let's go to the pleasure court. And he goes, I can't. I have no money and I'm watching my brother's taxes. And Sounds he goes, to me like you have money. <laughs> he goes, here's an idea. We're going to take some money out of the box. And then at first they go, wait, that'll just make the box sound like it has less money. But they come up with a clever idea, which is to put some rocks in there to make They're, up for the loss of money. That's not clever. That's stupid as shit. Oh. I thought you were going to say something like how they do in like very sitcoms where they like Let's take this money, and then we'll gamble it, and then we'll make more money, and then they don't, and they lose all of their money. No, he just used rocks. He's an idiot. That's this even, man's stupid. That's, that's, <laughs> even, that's even dumber than what I see on sitcoms, and that's... Okay, okay, so they take the money, and they spend it all at the pleasure quarters. His brother comes back from being out of town, and immediately figures out this happened by looking yeah. in the box. He looked in the thing, was like... Oh, oh is that this a, is filled with rocks. Is that a fucking rock? So he goes to their father and demands he be punished for stealing a fuck ton of tax money. Daddy, get the shoes out. <laughs> but his, this is really bad because, like, I've read a little bit of Tokugawa or Tokugawa era punishments. They'll boil you alive. Like, it's not good. The father, though, in a moment of leaning, says, didn't you ever have fun when you were young? Wow. What? Wow. Wow. That's surprisingly, like, um, chill and hip Okay, you know dad. what? No, no wonder this kid is so spoiled. This kid beat the shit out of people, and dad's like, all right, I'm going to hit him with a shoe. And now he spends all of his <coughs> tax money that his other son successfully gained and says, eh, you know, what a Didn't little you have spoiled fun? ass. He got two years of bed rest for going off and leaving his family. It's kind of fun. <laughs> it is. It's a fun story. Oh, shit. Oh. So now, we fast forward two more years ahead of time when he's 18. So we figure, you know, this is potentially a point where he's starting to reach a bit of maturity, starting to really take care of himself. Okay. Yeah, because that's what I've thought this whole time. Like, yeah, he's really growing more mature. <laughs> so he's got some friends uh, by the name of Gembe, Shintaro, and Shujiro. Sound like a group of idiots. Um, well, Gembe is described by Katsu as being a skilled swordsman who's a retainer for one of the houses. Yeah, but we don't trust Katsu. No, no, we don't. Yeah, why, why are you trusting anything he says? This is the definition of an unreliable narrator. Uh-huh. Okay, so anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jake, that's so, right. <laughs> so Gembe describes how in the town of Kuramai, there's the Hachiman Shrine, and every year there is a festival there. Gembe says it's a great way to go there and find people who want to fight you in public. Holy shit. So it's Fight Club. Yes. So the four of them go to this town for the festival to look for some people to fight. As they're there, they see a guy who's looking at them real funny like. They don't like the way he looks. So he gets closer. One of them spits at him. Oh. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. One of dude, his friends goes dude. and just spits at this random yes. guy? 
Yes, exactly. Dude. <laughs> so this guy gets pissed and walks up and starts grabbing at them like, what are you doing? Then they beat the shit out of him. <laughs> These four 18-year-old punks. Then a couple of the guys behind that guy, <laughs> alarmed, run in to try and stop them, and they beat the shit out of them, too. God. So then... Okay, so they've just beaten up three random strangers. Then 20 guys with pole spears that are in the building all start to come at them. But they pull out their swords and start fighting them off, slashing them up. They end up wounding four or five people and get their way out of the building. I don't want to say this is cool... But this is kind of fun. Oh, it's it, this is one of the funnest parts of the autobiography, in my opinion, actually. <laughs> wow. Then they get outside, and out there they're surrounded by 30 more people with pole spears. And they're trying to hold them off, but they know there are way too many. And then we have this very cinematic moment where Genbei says, You all go without me. I'll hold them off. As a retainer, it's my duty to protect the rest of you because you're samurai. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like Moose we would like fucking cut his Achilles tendon and be like, peace out, like leave him. <laughs> peace well, out. This is the best part is they all say, no, we're not going to leave you. And he says, no, you have to. And Katsu gives Genbi his sword in exchange for Genbi's shorter sword. So he has a chance to better fight. Okay. So they flee town and they're worried that he's going to like, you know, be hurt. But they later run into him drinking sake at someone's house, so he's fine. <laughs> he's, he's good. Gibby's the best character in this. Here's the important part of this story. The next day, they return back to the town of Kurame, and they're outside the doctor's office there. And the townspeople are talking, saying, yeah, so there were a number of porters working downtown, and some strangers from out of town just showed up and beat the shit out of all of them. <laughs> So, Ooh, oh God, I wonder who that was. And then he said he beat a hasty retreat and never came back to the town. <laughs> yeah. That will do it. Guys, that wasn't a fight club. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out it was not a fighting festival. These are simply people that you spit on and then beat up, so everyone tried to stop you from beating them up. Oh, oh. Wow. Good, good God. What a prick. <laughs> Wow. I don't know if he's bad enough yet to make the public enemy, or the drunk thunks public enemy list, but he's a real prick. Oh, so he's a, he's, oh, he's a contender. Yeah. A contender to be a contender. Wow. So part of the thing that sort of lines up with this period where he's getting these public fights is that he's joined a sword school and he's trying to develop his skill as a sword fighter. Um, He actually was originally in one school. And then another friend who managed to beat him real handily in a fight said he should join his school instead. So he joined that one, even though his master, his old master got pissed at him. But he became, according to his biography, a much better fighter after joining this school. Yeah, yeah, just like how in my biography, um, I became really handsome and lost a lot of weight and got a lot of money and lived a great life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's very similar to this autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> So as he describes it, he slowly manages by winning as um, a member of the sword school and beating up other people. He builds up this massive gang of followers that he's just building up from all these other students of these sword schools that he forces <laughs> to join under him. Can you imagine this oh. guy walking around telling people how popular he is? No, he goes around like and he tells Instagram you how, how popular he is and then people say, no, you're not. And then like one of his buddies comes up with the sword and is like, hey, no. Why don't you tell my bo- or tell my boss how popular he is? Like, yes, sir. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. Sure. Your your boss is great. Real good guy. I just imagine him going up and be like, "Hey, you know, I'm like really cool." And they're like, "Why don't you fuck off?" And then he goes home that night and writes, "Dear diary, made six new friends." <laughs> 
So he spends the ages from 19 to 21 basically building up this larger sword gang of followers by having rivals beating them up, convincing other people to join him instead. But during the whole time <laughs> of this period, he's still going to the pleasure quarters and still hiring prostitutes. And now he's also gotten into gambling in addition to paying money to, quote, keep appearances up for his followers so he can keep the appearance of being a leader of this gang. I have a question regarding the prostitutes and mm -hmm. um, his... The friendly women? <laughs> the very the very nice women and also his <laughs> testicles. Is there anything in there that's like, one girl saw my black and blue balls and was like, hard pass? <laughs> no. Um, no, in his autobiography, he is a... Bless you. Bless you, Michael. It happens like five times every Sneeze time. Sneeze again if you're weak. <laughs> <laughs> Knew it. <laughs> so, like, nothing in there about, like, one prostitute saw my balls, um, well, I didn't you, get sex that night. <laughs> you mean in his autobiography where he's, like, clearly the hero of this story? Yeah. That he wrote a... No. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, one of the things is he did go to have children. And actually, I think... What? What? Yes. what? Yes. Oh, yes, he did. His son would become the leader of the Shogun's armies at the, like, eve of the Meiji Restoration. Those things still work? Uh-huh. They do. Actually, uh, miracles do happen, Michael. Not to the right people. <laughs> it's actually a good thing you bring this up, because one of the parts of his story I did skip over here is that 1617, he formally became married to the girl that was supposed to become his wife. The reason I left so little of it is, he only has a single sentence where he mentions that, and then he moves on. <gasps> oh, shit! Shit. Oh, man. So he's really married to the pleasure quarters. Well, he only mentions his wife twice in the uh, entire autobiography. The time he gets married and the time his wife goes to help him pick up another girl he's interested in. What? Whoa! What a Wow, this baller. is a real, um, Percy Bryce Shelley character here. I was gonna, I was actually going to ask if we could put him on our uh, my per my personal public enemies list because we'll call him, fuck that guy. We'll call it the Scrub Club. Yes! Scrub oh, Club. Oh, I like it. That's good. I love Scrub Club. Anyway, so we've got the this public, is, enemies, this guy's on scrub public club. enemies list and the Scrub Club. This okay. guy's on Scrub Club. Okay, I'm fine. We need, like, we need a, a like blackboard. A, ooh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you just hear us writing, like, yeah. Percy Bryce. Okay, so... So at 21, he finally realizes he's in deep shit when he hits the point where he has no money and he's borrowing money to spend the money on his former debt. And at that point, he decides, well, it's time to run away from home again. Oh, awesome. my God. Oh. He is now 21. Okay. It's so crazy to think. And like, what, what am I doing with my life? Right. I'm like, I'm like sitting here. I'm like, dude, this guy's younger than me. Fuck that guy. I've never borrowed enough money to go to the pleasure quarters. <laughs> I've never left town to escape my creditors. <laughs> I've never used a ladle to stand on the street and beg. Honestly, that really does seem to be like a key indicator of you having a biography. Well, did you have to run from your creditors before you were 25? It's kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> now, unfortunately, this runaway attempt was not quite as successful as the last one. The first one wasn't even that successful. Nope. Oh, shit. <laughs> so he go, runs away and realizes that he doesn't really want to do begging again. So he runs back to that family that had been really nice <gasps> to him the last time. They're like, you're walking so much better. Yeah, I got my balls fixed. Well, and th but they hear the news of a disappeared samurai from the area up north, and they ask him, and he goes, yeah, that's me. So unbeknownst to him... The family goes ahead and sends news back to his family, at which point uh, one of his nephews shows up as an emissary to be say, say, hey, 
Uh, your dad says you have to come back. You don't get to run away this time. <laughs> wow. Hey, I bet, oh, and did he respectfully respond to his father? Like, why? My God, that's so reasonable. Of course, you're right. Uh, let me pack my bags. I'll be home in a minute. That Thanks, is, man. in fact, what he did. Oh, what? Kidding. Yeah. Thanks, man, that my father hired to threaten me into coming home. Well, Damn. it was his nephew, and he didn't hate his nephew. Okay. Huh. Wow. So that was surprisingly reasonable. <laughs> Jeez, Jake, your joke flopped. Congrats. Joke's on you. No, it just means I'm clever and I know where the story's gonna go. Unlike you, you rube. <laughs> well, I can't comment on that. But, so, he ends up going home and his father confronts him and says, so, you are a 21-year-old who's run away from home twice. Mm -hmm. When you were a kid, you would run away from school to beat people up, so you don't know how to read or write. So because of that, you are incapable of being in a government position. You're incapable of doing any of the basic functions of what a samurai is expected to be. So I'm going to make you stay home until you learn how to behave well, until the increasing news of scandal around you around town goes down, and until you're capable of learning to read and write. He's still there to this day. Yeah. <laughs> Some say he's still in that home. He's <laughs> so, just a skeleton. It's his poltergeist. But it's his black a... and blue testicles are still there. Oh my god. So, some say on dark nights you can smell the smell of his infected balls. <laughs> Pus oozes from the wall. Do you want to play dice? <laughs> oh no. Okay. Two black and blue. Okay, so how is his father intending to keep him there until he does all this because that sounds obviously there's um it sounds futile is what it sounds like when he makes that threat there is an implied degree of like i'm going to make you do this so how does he make him do this so katsu's brought inside by his father where he is shown a cage that katsu describes as being the size of what he calls it three tatami mats and tatami mats were about three by six foot in terms of their size he is then tossed in this cage by his father and stays there for three years. Good. So he's kept, Whoa! So he's kept like an animal in a Russian zoo. Yes. Wow. <laughs> I hope they give him cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for Bear's daily ration of cigarettes and vodka. <laughs> and the bear's like, yeah! <laughs> uh, sorry, everyone had to bring the Russian back for that. So he spends his Thank time you, in Jake. <laughs> Man, good thing we avoided the insensitive accents this episode. I know, I was thinking the same um, thing. I like knew I, you like I said resist. before, you no, so we well. avoided insensitive Asian accents. Again, the Europeans got like 200 years to ruin the earth. I'm allowed to make fun of them. <laughs> I really like Jake's thought, like, yeah, those slobs have it coming to them. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> I think that's a different episode. Yes. So he spends his time in the cage, and most of his time as he's there spent learning to read and write because he doesn't have much else to do, getting constant lectures from his father on the fact that he needs to learn responsibilities as he's sitting in the cage. Jesus. <laughs> and dad just comes in and like pulls up a three leg stool. He's like, So about you. <laughs> it's literally the scene from Spider Man. So. You tried to run away again, now you're stuck here in a cage. <laughs> Good morning, disappointment. <laughs> okay. And what otherwise, keeps writing letters to his older brothers, who serve in government positions. Finally, 
at age 24, he finally convinced one of his older brothers saying, I'm not going to call this trouble. I want to apply for a government position. Can you please have me released? <laughs> he took him three years to come up with that? That yes. is a shocking level of stubbornness. Yeah. I could not imagine. I wouldn't. I, the cage would get boring for me after like two hours. I like the idea the cage was ever interesting for him. Well, you know, like at first you could kind of like go and do like pull-ups and act like a monkey. Whenever people walk in, you could bark at them like a dog. You could have a lot of fun with this. I actually forgot one of the most important parts of the story is that in the first you month... You your own feces at him? It's no, great. In the first two months, he actually learned how to remove two of the bars of the cage. So he was trying to get out the hard way. Oh. Try to make me read and write, damn you. But like after he did done that and got the two bars, he finally went, you know... I could learn reading and writing, given I'm an adult and don't know how to read. Or write. So, he, he stopped and did the thing that his family wanted. He only did that because it would make him a better crook. Well, yes, that would in fact help him later. I think he did it because he was lazy and he realized it was hard to get rid of bars on a cage. <laughs> so, finally at 24, he gets out. And he borrows money again, but this time so he can buy the stuff he needs to officially apply for a position in the government. He goes to the local commissioner, who is in charge of contacting all the samurai about their possible positions. And they say that they'll try to get him a position. He never hears back. And then he decides at age 24, fuck it, I'm never going to try to get employed by the government again. Me. Huh. Well, he gave it the old college try, didn't he? <laughs> he tried one time, and that was about it. <laughs> God. So instead, based on his years of experience from being in the sword school and like all the friends he has who are familiar with swords, he becomes a swords dealer. He learns how to appraise stores, sells them back and forth between people. He'll find ones made by certain like uh, smiths that are considered like more experts or not. That's actually kind of a fun job. Oh, yeah. And he gets a pretty decent reputation for this early on, although this is not the point at which he really becomes successful with it. It's just when he's first starting out. Mm. Um. Later on, he is a, uh, someone who gets in touch with him about wanting to start this new Shinto association. And he goes, well, I've got all these friends from my sword business. I'll help you start the association. Mm-hmm. And in a year, he helps his association get 600 members. Then the guy who's running it, as he describes it, is a bit of a jackass to him. So he proceeds to go to the guy's house and say, you're a jackass. I'm going to walk away and make sure all the people leave unless you're suddenly nice to me. So then the guy tries to like have this real humble meeting with him. But then the guy's nephew's like... How dare you treat my father like shit? And tries to fight Katsu. And then Katsu picks up his sword and is like, I'm going to kill you. Oh and then God. the guy Whoa. hides in a room and starts begging for him to please not kill him. Um, I will say, don't start shit unless you're not willing to finish it. That's definitely true. <laughs> like, if, if you go up and you confront a guy who's armed with a sword, don't... Don't go into that with no plan if he actually draws that sword. Yeah, don't bluff. Yeah. The way Katsu describes it is after this, he walked away from the association because he didn't want anything to do with it anymore, and it collapsed shortly after, and he says, and that's what he deserved. Hmm. Huh. A little later on, as an adult, he needs some other ways to make money, so he comes across this woman who is a fortune teller who does lotteries. Now, lotteries Hmm. were largely illegal at this time in the Tokugawa Shogunate, but there were certain ones that were allowed for religious festivals so shrines could raise money and get support publicly. Mm-hmm. But then illegal lotteries would often be run off of those lotteries. So she was a fortune teller that would like predict through incantations what the new lottery numbers would be and people would pay her for that service so they could get those numbers. <laughs> so then he was paying attention and listening to her do this and a friend was describing it to him that had brought him there and he went, 
I think I could do that. <laughs> I could just oh. say random numbers. Hold on, hold on. You're telling me that this lady just says numbers and they give her money? <laughs> well, that's almost as easy as begging. <laughs> now his friend, his friend Emilia I've been goes, in a cage for three years. I know how to count. <laughs> his friend Emilia goes, now, listen, uh, Katsu, I know you're a respectable samurai of, like, great descent, but, you know, not everyone is a fortune teller. and Everyone has the skill to do this. And then he says... Are you saying I can't do this? Oh. God, I hate this guy. And then he starts doing these incantations and giving fortunes. Um, there comes one time where someone, one of these fortune tellers, who said that they could exercise a spirit for someone, but they require a certain fee and it would take a week. He says, I'll take less money and do it in three days. <laughs> Shit. <is> great. No. <laughs> this guy's great. And he records in the autobiography as him having successfully exercised the spirit from the person. He did not exercise. <laughs> He's no. a goddamn liar. <laughs> I have my suspicions too. Don't. Oh, do you? Bottom barrel bargain discount exorcisms. Come one, come all. <laughs> He's doing like the equivalent of the exorcism from the Boondocks. Yes. <laughs> and mean, we'll leave it at that. One of, one of the one of the big things about his life in general is he just kept finding new and new ways to like make money really quickly, especially in this period. But he reminds me of like a flim flam guy from the eighteen hundreds. Mm-hmm. He's a snake oil salesman. I mean, yeah, he's literally yeah. a flim flam guy from the eighteen hundreds. Oh yeah, right. This <laughs> yeah, is like the, what? This is, this is the eight. yes. This is in like the like eighteen twenties, eighteen forties when he's living his adult life. <coughs> yeah, because he lived yeah, until. Was there just something about the 1800s that had just, like, a bunch of fast-talking, like, wise men oh, come yeah, out and be like, mm -hmm. I can sell you anything? The golden age of... Uh, Flim-flammery. Spiritualism and false science. God, I love it. Yeah. Apart from, like, smallpox and people being smelly, the 1800s would be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Well, I've got an episode I'm working on about John D. Rockefeller's father, and he's largely the same story. You told me a few <laughs> things. I'm very excited. <laughs> Ooh, okay, oh so... God. So, at this point, though, finally, as he's getting later in his adult life, his sword-selling business actually starts taking off. He's actually managing to regularly return a profit. He becomes a known face in the market. Even when he takes losses, because of the close relationships he's built, his other friends in the market will help him minimize his losses. That's cool. So, he so how does well. he ruin this? Well, <laughs> So, basically... <coughs> Throughout all this time as an adult, when he has not spent approximately five years of his life imprisoned at home, um, he um, ends up still going to Yoshiwara, the pleasure district, where there's gambling, there's prostitutes, etc., etc. I mean, how can you stay what? away? So, believe it or not, both of his older brothers had basically fallen out of favor with him, and they were not fans of him either. However, after a crisis involving one of the sons of one of his older brothers... They became close again and started seeing each other until some incidents in which the oldest brother uh, thought that what he was doing in Yoshiwara was unacceptable, and he learned that the middle brother had informed that oldest brother about him. At which point he decided he wanted nothing to do with him. Um, however, this was the point where his life finally took an irreversible shift. Because he heard over and over of all the plans his oldest brother had for capturing him, taking him so he could, like, interrogate him about what he'd been doing in Yoshiwara, get him to stop hanging out with the prostitutes and the gamblers there. But they're fun. <laughs> they're not all the they're friendly women. They Fine. laugh at all my jokes when I give them money. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, his luck runs out, and he comes home, and his wife and his son, Rintaro, 
Both say... Oh, I forgot he was married. Yes. He, he also... <laughs> he, he has to say. They go, Father, something's wrong. Your oldest brother came by, and he built something out back. And he says in the uh, autobiography, I know that what this is going to be, and walks back there. It's a goddamn cage. It's a cage. <laughs> as soon as I heard built, I'm like, uh... Is this a treehouse? Are we doing a slip and slide? <laughs> Oh, so, a rocking chair? <laughs> you know, I've been thinking about putting an outdoor grill and, uh... Shit. We can do some really good hibachi. <laughs> so, oh he ends up saying, that's it. That's what my oldest brother wants. I'm going to go in the cage. And then his wife goes, no, don't do it. And he says, nope, this is the only thing that I can do. And his son, Rintaro, goes, no, don't do it. I don't want you to go in the cage. And he's like, nope, this is my fate. And then he officially resigns from the headship of the family and hands it to his son, Rintaro... He is 37 at the time, and Rintaro is 15. Huh. Woo. Cool. So let's put a teenager in charge of everything. Honestly, yes. it sounds like he couldn't do much worse. Yeah. yeah. Now did he, he actually go in the cage, or did he, like, resign all this, and then, like, grows into, fuck off, or, like, peace out, and, like, leave? Well, he did go in the cage, but after he resigns the family headship, his older, his older brother, no longer gives a shit, because the problem was he was dishonoring the family name. Yeah. Once he's out, out of that, so no it doesn't matter. I mean, you know that the real conversation here is... He was like, all right, I'm going to go in the cage. And everyone went, okay. He's like, don't try and stop me. And everyone's like, fine, Dad. Just He's go like, ahead and go in the cage. They were, de- they were destitute. Devastated. They were just broken. It's like, Dad, please stop. They wept as I closed <laughs> the gate. They were clawing at my robes trying to get me to go in there. <laughs> he definitely didn't grab his Game Boy and just go in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, Dad, don't. My. So... So, he's retired at 37, which on the one hand frees him from the politics of his brothers. He doesn't have to worry about anything they have to do anymore. Cool. His son is in charge of the family. However, there is a major problem. Now that he's no longer the head of the family, he does not receive the official family stipend for their samurai status. But isn't he still getting pretty good money from his sword business, right? Well, the sword business now does not give him enough money. Because oh, of the fact he had it was only it supplementary was stipend. Okay, yeah, no, he's fucked. Oh, yikes. So, I don't want to go into all the details of uh, what he does in his retirement, because this is an excellent book and everyone should read it. But the first thing he does is he starts to become a moneylender in Yoshiwara. So it just really doubles down on where he's really spent his life. Um, the thing I really want to illustrate to most describe what this person was like in his old age, which was really his 40s and 50s, um, he had someone he was trying to impress. So they were this younger guy that he was showing around. And he's like, come on, come get some food with me. And mm-hmm. the guy says, okay. And then he walks with him. And then he, the guy sees they're walking towards Yoshiwara. And the other guy goes, I don't want to be in there. And starts to turn around. And he grabs him and goes, no, you're coming in here with me. <laughs> oh, no. Fuck you, son. We're getting some whores. <laughs> uh, no, no. So he walks him into a restaurant. And they know him by name, and they order food there and eat. And then after that, they go to one of the brothels, and they walk in, and it's one of the busiest nights of the year, and he asks for the most beautiful woman in what the place. What is it, like Christmas Eve or something? Actually, I, Valentine's I Day? I don't remember if he specifies what the date was, but he does say that like it's a time of year where no one's available. Mm-hmm. He asks for the most beautiful woman, and they say, the rooms are all full, there's no one available. And then he says, I am Musui. And then immediately a room becomes available, and the two of them spend it in there for the rest of the night. With each other? And I mean, I assume the there's going to be, you know, a friendly woman there with them. 
At least one. So now he's shown this completely terrified and uninterested man (laughs) that he really is the king of the whores. Yes. And this is, I think, for me, the really quintessential picture of who Musui was in his life, both like before and after retirement, which was someone who did not in any way satisfy the expectations of what a samurai was supposed to be. He was a piece of shit. He could barely read or write. He never did any of the things he was supposed to do. He constantly swindled people, beat the shit out of them. Mm. He constantly made new businesses so he could make money. I kind of love him. He had more friends that were gamblers oh. and thieves and prostitutes than he had that were samurai. But at the end of the day, he loved himself. He's I mean, a lovable he, dick. He really is like that That era's like rags, like the self-made man type of ideal. Granted, he came from money, but he, he did everything that like you hear in these stories of people that had to fight their way to the top. He's he Gaston. <laughs> he never that injured you know his of. testicle for any. That you know that of. That swagger may be medical related, though. You think a guy like Gaston is going to be like... Is gonna like confidently say that he got his balls injured? No. When I was a lad, I fell off of a cliff and then busted my nuts, and they're large. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just oh. saying, if Gaston landed on his nuts, he would definitely not go around telling everyone that he. I mean, the the real way to nuts. know if you really want to find out for sure, we just need to rewatch the film and see if he walks in more of like a waddle than a regular like shuffle. <laughs> what the animated one or the new live action? Oh, the animated one. You expect the live action to be accurate? <laughs> All right. That was a deep cut. Pressing a nerve for Brittany. <laughs> no, I just think the new Gaston is definitely more... More psycho- what? Psychotic. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. Well, awesome. Thank awesome. you so much for sharing Moosey's story. Yeah. Of Thank course. Thank you, Dan. Um, and just for everyone, again, because this is something you should definitely read, it's Moosey's story, the autobiography of uh, Tokugawa Samurai. Written by Katsuko Kichi and translated by Teruko Craig. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Dan. Yeah, thank you so much, and thank you for joining us. Yeah. Um, it's the end of the show. Do you have anything you want to say or announce? Oh, uh, I'm a socialist. Join a socialist organization. Join DSA. Congratulations. Woo. All, All right, right, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> we politely and firmly asked them to leave. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, if you have a chance, give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen to us on. That helps us out more than you could possibly know. Yeah, seriously. So if you could reach out to us, you can find us, uh, well, if you're listening, anywhere that you're listening right now. Uh, we're also on all of the different social media platforms. You can find us at drunkthunks at gmail.com. If you have episode suggestions, we want to hear them from you. Yeah, because we're slowly running out. I'm creatively bankrupt. (laughs) So if you have options or ideas or thoughts on the show, you can reach out to us at gmail or you can, you know what, uh, go to our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Thank you guys so much for listening. Yeah, thank you. We all appreciate it. Love you. You bitch. (laughs) You stole my thing, you whore. (laughs) I've been waiting to do that the whole time. Get your own thing.